All right. Um, John, I'm excited that you're officially here. Um, Katie had a roommate in college named Jerry, and she married a a guy named Jerry. So we affectionately refer to them as Jerry and Man Jerry. So I get... I get... I get the the Jonna John distinction. I I will try not to text you or put you in my phone as Man John. But there's that. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me to uh, Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. We'll pick up in verse fifteen. Ephesians chapter five. For much of uh, my Christian life, people treated this idea of wisdom as if it was both this elusive treasure that you were trying to get and this very scary, horrific thing you should never pray for at the same time. And it's the, the thing you're always praying over a situation for, right? Between what job should I take, who should you date, Should you move, right? You're always trying to figure that out. But it's also the thing that you were constantly warned that if you ask for it, bad things are going to happen to you because apparently the only way you can learn wisdom is through suffering. Now, I get get the the thought process, right? Romans chapter 5, that suffering produces... Endurance and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And the, the line of thinking is okay, so I, I get wisdom through circumstantial situations, and so that must mean the only way I'm going to get wisdom is either something really bad happening, like the AC going out of my house, or me getting stuck on I 40, right? Like, that's the only way that I'm going to gain wisdom in my life. But at the risk of sounding like Neo in the Matrix, what if I told you that wisdom is actually not that scary? And it's not that complicated. And, and what if we could actually look at the scriptures and see what wisdom looks like? And, and I think we can. And I think this passage in particular handles that today. So we're going to make that argument. As we dig into this portion of the letter in 15 through 21, it's going to serve as a, a continual thought. Dan and I were, were talking about, about this when we met this week, that really you could make an argument that... Uh, verses 3 through 21 are, are all one straight thought. That as last week Dan dealt with the idea of, of what it looks like to walk in the light, what it looks like to walk in love, what it looks like to be imitators of God, what it looks like to avoid the darkness, that those, those same principles and those same applications of the gospel in our lives really just kind of continue the same thought as we dig into 15 and we ask the question okay what does walking in wisdom look like so we're going to see that part of walking in light involves being wise when you walk and and what does it look like to walk wisely well we're going to deal with with two ways we see that today the first thing we're going to see is it's looking at where you're going we're going to wrestle with that in 15 through 17 and 
Secondly, we're going to see that walking wisely looks like being filled with the Spirit, and we'll see that in 18 through 21. So for my type A note-takers, as your, your outline there, we'll dig into chapter 5, starting in verse 15. I'm going to read the text. This is the Word of the Lord. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let's pray. Father, would you please bless your word and do the thing that I can't do and open eyes, change hearts, raise the dead. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we saw Paul having this discussion uh, with the Ephesians as he's had so many times in his letters. He reminds them of who they are, that they are the light. And because they are the light, they should walk in the light and avoid the darkness. Now, notice the the identity language that he's going to use. He's going to continue here with 15 through 21. That it's not a list of rules that he's setting before them that they have to keep if they want to maintain God's favor. It's grace language, not law language. Because of what Christ has done and who God is shaping you and me to be by the Spirit, this is where life is. This is who you are now. So walk in it. Walking in the light looks like walking wisely. And walking in wisdom first looks like looking at where you're going. Let's look at verse 15. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. Time and time again in the letter of the Ephesians, Paul is going to use this word walk. And he uses it multiple times in the letter, just looking to one when he says, And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, and which once you once walked, following after the course of this world, following after, after the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work, and the sons of disobedience. He says it again in 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. He says it again in one. I therefore, a prisoner, of the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. 5.2 And walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 5.8 For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light, the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So it's important then that we understand what this idea of walking looks like. That there is a connection that Paul wants you to see and he's hammering that point home verse after verse after verse that to understand the gospel means to understand who you are in Christ. And once you understand who you are in Christ, then how you live in light of that identity is how you walk. So walking is equivalent to living. 
in another way of saying this then is as you look at each verse where he says, walk this way, walk in love, walk in light, walk out of darkness, walk in who you are, walk in good works. He's telling you, hey, Christian, live this way, be like this. And it's such an important distinction because I'm convinced more and more as I talk to Christians that we don't understand this. We get caught up and bent towards law so much that we miss what Paul is continually calling here in his identity language. He's not talking to us about who we might be. He's talking about who we are now. He's telling us in Christ who we are. You are children of light. You are the light in the Lord. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are alive. So walk like it. So live this way. This is who you are, not who you might be. And I say that because we spend, especially as you start to understand more and more about grace and you start to study the scriptures, more and more you understand the weight of your sin. And there's a temptation in understanding the weight of your sin to lead you to this idea of I need to white knuckle my faith then. I need to make sure and constantly be on top of killing sin and making rules to make sure I avoid it at all costs. And I think at some level, understanding the seriousness of your sin is true and good. But if we pendulum swing into creating a new law for ourselves, we misunderstand this idea of walking. You're not hoping that you might one day possibly please God. You are accepted. You are loved. You are forgiven. You are in Christ. Righteous, holy, clean children. And then you walk out of that. And that distinction is so huge that I think we need to kind of continuously remind ourselves you're going to hear me say this time and time again every time I'm with you. I have a neighbor, and he's a new member of our church. He's only been a Christian for about three years. Um, has a fantastic story. and we, We've been meeting on a regular basis. He's been coming to my house two or three times a week for coffee. And we'll talk about anything from um, books that he's reading to this last Friday he wanted to talk about Revelations. And I had to explain to him there's just one. <laughs> and then we needed, he, but he wanted to talk about it, right? And I love it, right? That he's, sometimes he's all over the place and sometimes I have to rein him in and he constantly always leaves me text messages, man, I really appreciate what you're doing. I'm hanging out with my little brother and I'm teaching him how to walk in faith. Here, read this letter, Central Prez, the same way that Paul is saying, hey, Family, let me teach you how to walk. That's exactly what he's doing for us here. He's teaching us how to walk. Is this not the same way that we learned how to do basic things like wash dishes? Your mom or dad brought you to the sink and they grabbed a dish and they said, all right, I'm going to wash this dish and then you try, right? It's, it's learning by doing. It's a novel concept. It just might work. Here, Paul is saying the same thing. Hey, this is how you do this. 
This is how you walk in the light. This is how you walk in wisdom. This is how you look carefully how you walk. And then he tells you three distinct ways in which you do that. The first he tells us is verse 16, by making the best use of your time because the days are evil. Now, Wisdom is understanding how to manage your time. That's the connection that Paul wants you to see. But what he's not doing here is giving you a TED Talk on how to be productive so that we all leave and go, man, I, 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 am, I stink at time management. Thanks, Gage. I appreciate it. Right? No, that's not what's happening here. Instead, he's wanting you to understand that to be wise and to look carefully where you're going and how you're walking is to understand what's at stake in the time that you have. To be conscious that eternity is absolutely at hand. Now, I got a confession. I'm a video game guy. Particularly, I'm a sports video game guy. I love playing them. I'm not a third-person shooter. I don't get into Fortnite or any of that stuff. I just, I just want to, you know, lead my team that's never going to make it to the Super Bowl in my mind, right? Like, that's what I want to do. And it, you know, I get to just kind of veg out for a little bit and escape, and it's, and it's great. Problem being, I just got done playing my, my new Madden game that I got for $14, and then I sat down to do summer prep on Tuesday night, and this verse smacked me in the face. Make the best use of your time, for the days are evil. Got it, Paul. Just wasted three hours. Cool. Now, is Paul being a legalist here? Is he, he telling you, never watch Netflix? Never get on Hulu? Never play video games? No. But he is telling you, be conscious of the fact that you're not going to live forever. Be conscious of the fact that eternity rests in the hearts of men. And if you struggle with the reality that life isn't going to go on forever and it's actually going to feel like it's coming like a freight train, sit around with an older saint and ask him about their perspective. Ask them what time feels like now compared to when they were in their 30s. If you think about time that way, another way to translate this is redeem the time for the days are desperate. Because we understand something, that this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The day in and of itself isn't evil. Paul isn't telling you to go store up your canned goods and hoard in your house and hide from the world because the days are evil. But he is telling you, hey, be conscious of the fact that you're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you think about time and that reality, that it is a precious gift, that it is breath that you have been given then you think differently now about how you engage your neighbors. You think differently now about how you work and go to work or how you parent your kids as a stay-at-home parent. Or you think a little more intentionally about your time with that relative that you know you need to have that conversation with. Redeem the time. Make the best use of your time because let's be honest 
life can get pretty distracting. This isn't a proclamation from Paul to never do anything relaxing or never do anything in leisure, but it is a reminder that eternity is at stake. And we have the good news. We have the life-giving news. We have the hope of the world. We are the light in the world. So shine. But then notice what he says. Next. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, this concept is so often talked about as mysterious as wisdom, right? That I need to try to discern what the will of the Lord is. And we'll use Stories like Gideon as prescriptive instead of descriptive narrative. And in other words, it's the thing we need to always be putting out a fleece instead of this just being a, a situation at one time that God gave Gideon to figure out, right? That we think, oh, I've got to be metaphorically putting out fleeces all over the place for my next job, my next boyfriend, my next house, my next whatever, right? But another way of translating this could be Understand what the desire of the Lord is. Now, only if we had a book that could tell us what God's desire is for our life and what He is like. Man, if we... Oh, oh wait. Right? That, that it's not some mystery that we have to try to wrestle. It's not a Rubik's Cube that we have to try to figure out. It's not a fortune cookie that we have to try to decipher and put on our, our pin board. That the will of the Lord, the desire that the Lord has is for you to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Right? And that is found in His Word. That the Word has everything that we need for life and godliness. That it's in the Word that wisdom is found. There's an entire book that all Solomon tells you, verse after verse after verse, is wisdom is found in my precepts. Wisdom is found in my commandments. Wisdom is found in my Word. Wisdom is personified in the Messiah. Wisdom is something to be treasured. Wisdom is what gives you life. Guess who wisdom is? Wisdom is Jesus. Guess where you find out who Jesus is and what He wants for you? In this book, 66 books, the wisdom is right there. James wasn't lying to you when he said, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask for it. How? You just open the book and go, I need wisdom. Crazy how that works. But notice how this builds on one another. Paul urges us to look at how we're walking. Avoid being unwise. What does it mean to be unwise? It means to waste time. It means to think that you're going to live forever. It means to get distracted and caught up in the here and the now and forget that eternity is at stake. And then Paul tells you don't be foolish, which is really just another way of saying don't be dumb, don't be unwise. He's saying the same thing. It's not a different thing. He's just repeating himself like a good dad does. But how do I do that? We discern the will of the Lord. Okay, Paul, how do I do that? By going time and time again to the book that is given to you by the God who makes it real plain what His will is. And His will is that you know Jesus. 
and then walk in the reality of who that is and what he has done. But Paul knows life is hard. Paul knows that sometimes you just want to get away. And we so oftentimes come to the scriptures and we think, well, they just that they don't know what life is like now. That was life in the first century, and they were primitive, and they didn't go through the things that we go through here, and then we're proven wrong time and time again, and we learn that there's nothing new under the sun, and we're smacked in the face with verses like this when it says next, verse 18, and don't get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Because some days, it seems like a really good idea just to go in a dark room and drink. Right? But some days, work is work, life is life, parenting is parenting, everything is falling apart, the entire world is broken, and it'd be really good just to drink for a little bit. Paul gets it. Scripture gets it. And the Spirit, through Paul, is telling you, I understand that. Fight that urge. Be filled with the Spirit instead. Now notice what he says here. He doesn't say how often this was told to me as a kid. So don't drink wine, for that is debauchery. It doesn't say don't drink wine, for that is debauchery. It says don't get drunk with wine. So that is debauchery. Debauchery is one of those old school, big theological words that really just means drinking to the point of being reckless. Why? Because that's unwise. It just leaves you the next day with a headache going, what did I do and why did I do it and where are my keys and what is happening, right? (laughs) Like, Like, it's just, it's recklessness. Nothing happens and the problems you were trying to numb yourself from are just there waiting on you like, well, I'm glad that vacation was good for you. We're still here. Work is still work. People are still people. The kids are still bad sometimes. The marriage is still rough. Life is still hard. It's broken everything. So here, Paul is telling you, out of all the things he could have said to talk about wisdom, he talks about time management, and you're like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. I should be better with with my time. Thanks, Paul. Discern the will of the Lord. Yeah, I should read my Bible. Okay, thanks, Paul. And then he says, and don't, don't drink so much that you can't remember what's happening. Because that's not actually leading to anything. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Paul is, is telling us here, if you try to numb yourself, all that's going to lead to is recklessness and not life. It's the Spirit who gives us life, not grapes and barley. Grapes and barley are part of creation. God created them, just like He created you. And while they're good things, they're not ultimate things. And when we try to make good things ultimate things, it ultimately just leads to recklessness. Instead, don't try to find life in good things. Find life in the one who has raised you from the dead. And that leads to the second aspect of walking in wisdom. Being filled with the Spirit. Let's look at verse 18 again. 
And don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, when we hear phrases like, being filled with the Spirit, we so often want to conjure all kinds of possibilities in our head of what this possibly could mean. We we think it's, okay, now we're getting to the real deep stuff, Paul. Now you're telling me the stuff that I really want to hear. Of course I want to be Spirit-filled. Of course I want to understand what that means. And we think it means being spiritual as those folks who are always telling you about how the Lord spoke to me the other day and he just told me X. Or it's this deep kind of mysterious you're not quite there as a Christian unless you're spirit filled goal out here. And we ask questions all the time of churches. Are you a spirit filled church? Are you a full gospel church? And we get to this part and we're expecting deep and complicated, spirit-filled. It sounds complex, right? It sounds advanced. But the Spirit, via Paul, goes, no, not really. Let me describe for you what this looks like. To be spirit-filled means to sing the gospel, give thanks to God always and for everything. Remember it's the Father through Jesus who gives you what you need, and submit to a covenant community that you can do these things with each week. That's what it looks like. Paul's not giving you rules that you're going to have to go, okay, I've got to start addressing Dan in psalm, hymns, and spiritual songs. Thou is Dan, who gives, giveth me the opportunities to preach. I would sing to you, but you don't want me to. Right? Like That's, that's not what's happening here. Paul says, hey, be spirit-filled. And all that means is what we Presbyterians call the ordinary means of grace. It means hearing the Word read and preached. It means singing songs. It means praying privately and together. And it means the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Sounds like church. How do, how do you, what's spirit-filled look like, Paul? It looks like church. Mm. Looks like Sunday. Looks like small groups. <laughs> looks like hanging out with your friends, talking theology, and just learning about one another and encouraging one another in the gospel. It looks like life in the church. And I talk to Christians all the time who are constantly looking for more. And I get it. I fall into the same tactic. Their tendency is to think we need to advance past these ordinary means, meaning things we do every week. Reading scripture, hearing the word, praying, singing, baptism, and the Lord's Supper. And bookstores are filled and conferences are sold out with this idea and strategy for what's real and deep and spiritual. Everything from practicing the presence of God to washing your face. Like it's just everywhere. But notice that's not what's said here. 
be filled with the Spirit. And then he describes to you what that looks like. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. There's so much healing and restoration to be had in meditating on the songs that you sing. Music is powerful. Music is created by God, and He knows that, and He made that. There's a reason when you hear your song on the radio, you're just like, yes, I can get through the day because my jam has come on. Like, you have been created that way. Music is supposed to do that to you. So it's not a surprise that when we're going through life, the same thing happens when we need the gospel communicated to us. We need to take this bulletin and we need to hear things like, In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God and helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness Scorned by the ones He came to save. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on Him was laid. Here in the death of Christ, I live. I don't live because I'm good enough. I don't live because I've got it all figured out. I don't live because I keep the rules. I'm not trying to earn His favor or hope that maybe my sins will be cleansed this week. Till on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Done. Once and for all, you were forgiven. You need to hear that because you're going to walk out of here and forget it. I mean, think about it. And what about the Psalms? Have you ever turned to a Psalm to level out your emotions? Have you ever noticed how seemingly bipolar David is? Lord, you're my refuge and strength. Why have you left me? You are my rock and my redeemer. Why are my enemies treating me this way? The Spirit knows that life is tough. And He knows that brokenness in the world has brought anxiety and depression. And here are verses and songs and poems and journal entries to help you know that you're not the only one that feels this way. And then He tells you, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. When we worship we sing each week, we are reminding ourselves of the truth. That regardless of the type of week that we had or anything that we are facing at the moment, that God is God, He is in control, and He loves you, and He's for you. And then we hear songs like, How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. That He should give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. Do you get that? Do you feel that? That you are the wretch that He made His treasure. You're His treasure. So if you lose your job, if you lose your home, if your wife dies, whatever the case may be, you are His treasure. Your identity does not change. That life can hit you in the face. That you can go from having a surgical career to epilepsy and not knowing who you are to now having a new identity in the faith and having a, a part in the family. You need to hear these songs and it needs to hit you. That's why we sing every week. It's not because we're morbid and we want to sing about blood. <laughs> like, 
It's because we need to hear the gospel. And then he tells you, giving thanks always and everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a hard pill to swallow. Last week was Father's Day. And as much as I enjoyed it, I'm also reminded that my dad's dead. I'm also reminded that my stepdad's dead. I'm also reminded that neither one of those dudes helped me figure out how to walk with Jesus. And yet, I can give thanks to God because I'm a dad. And I can pour my life out to my son. And I can hang out with dudes that don't have dads and go, hey, I didn't either. We're going to figure this out. Let me show you about the father who loves you anyway. And I can rejoice in the reality that like the prodigal son, that when I screw up and I find myself in the midst of the muck and the mire and I try to clean myself up and prepare this speech that I'm going to be a servant and I'm going to work hard, that the father looks at me and I'll skip all that. Here's some new clothes. Here's a new credit card. We're throwing the party and all the drinks are on me. Like, you can give thanks to God for that reality. That it's by God's grace that I know what a good dad looks like. And it's by God's grace that I have an opportunity to be a dad and a husband and redeem time. But I forget that every single week. So I need to surround myself with brothers and sisters that can look at me and go, hey, you forgot this week. That's okay. I did too. We're going to do this again next week. We got it. And we need to hear and sing the gospel every week. And that's why the prosperity gospel is the most fraudulent nonsense that America has ever produced. Because it, believe, it leads you to believe that we need more than this. And it uses nonsense language like abundance. Or I'm just believing Him for. Or I'm looking for the breakthrough. Or the overflow. As if Jesus is my slot machine. And it promises the world like a glorified Santa Claus that never delivers. And you're left just as empty and just as broken. And it's satanic. Because what you need is this. Because all it's going to do in all its variations is repeat the same lie that if you eat from this fruit, you'll have more. And that's why Paul gives us this last aspect of what it looks like to be spirit-filled, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's no coincidence that he's going to end this sentence as he picks up into a conversation about husbands and wives and children and parents and slaves and masters. It's no coincidence that he's about to tell you the other way that you are filled with the Spirit Not that it's this secret formula or this new potion that you need. But that the way that the Spirit sustains you and fills you in in ways that nothing else can is by surrounding yourselves with brothers and sisters that go, hey, I get it. And hey, I got you. And Jesus is enough. 
So walking in wisdom means looking where you're going. And we do this by making the best use of our time, understanding the urgency of eternity in our life. It's understanding what the will of the Lord and His desire is for our life and how that's found in our identity in Jesus and the truth of His Word. It's found in the communion with saints and walking in the Spirit by filling yourself up with gospel truth and not failing and falling into the temptation of wanting to numb yourself when life gets hard. Wisdom isn't elusive. It's not secretive. It's not scary. It's found in Jesus. And in the communion of brothers and sisters and community put around us where we do word, prayer, and sacrament on a regular basis. My prayer is that we would be filled with the Spirit today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Help us when we try to advance past this. Help us when we try and ask for more and we think we need to graduate and we think we need to hit the next level. That you would ground us again and say, no child, I'm enough. All you need is word, prayer, singing, and the saints. We love you. Help us with this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.